This is going to be a different sort of episode, so if you don't want to hear about my cat who is no longer with us, skip this one. Yesterday we put our cat Jack to sleep. That's one way to say it. Another way to say it would be we had him put down. Yet another way would be we had him euthanized. Or I could say we said goodbye to him. That's a good one. Poetical. Here's one more way to tell you what we did yesterday. Yesterday we had our cat killed. That's not a story people like to tell, but that's the truth. We brought Jack to a stranger with a needle, and he gave him one injection that put him to sleep, and a second one that stopped his heart. Jack used to be a big, muscular block of a cat. He was magnificent in his way, but earlier this year we noticed he was losing weight and not eating like he used to. A few months ago, we took him to the vet for blood tests, and the results indicated that he might have pancreatitis or he might have feline leukemia. We didn't want to go down the road of expensive cancer treatment that would probably do little but deepen and extend his misery, so we opted for palliative care. We started giving him steroid pills. They helped, but they didn't turn things around. He kept eating and drinking less, kept wasting away, kept using the litter box less and less frequently. On Friday, I came home from work, opened the door, and heard him mewling. I went into the bedroom and found him lying on the floor, front leg extended up to where one claw was hooked on the bedsheet. He was too weak to free it. I held him on my lap that night. He stood by the door, clearly wanting to go out, so I let him venture out into the hallway of our apartment building. No reason not to. He was too weak to go far, let alone run. I even took him on a little walk into the cool fall air outside. Yesterday morning my wife and I saw how weak he was and felt how little he was purring and we decided that it was time. Since then I've been emotional. That's an odd expression, isn't it? I mean, we're always emotional, even, maybe especially, when we tell ourselves we're being rational. So what I mean when I say that is, I was in an emotional state that was unusual even by my standards. I was in a heightened emotional state. We made an afternoon appointment with the vet, and as I walked around the apartment, I fretted over Jack. I was grieving in advance, and two stories came to my mind. In every story I've heard about the Spanish Armada of 1588, one image seems to stand out. The image of the horses drowning in the Irish Sea. There's something about the suffering of animals that can get to us in ways that nothing else can. Animals are a conduit to feelings to which we've otherwise inured ourselves. I've largely walled off my feelings about my mother's death, but watching a cat, a cat who used to be a big, willful, muscular pain in the ass, watching him fade away into a listless, sad, weak, scarecrow version of his former self, that hit me. It made an end run around the defenses I'd built up against my feelings of helplessness in the face of my mother's decrepitude and my feelings of sad resignation as I watched my father fade away. Because the shock isn't strong enough to trip those emotional circuit breakers, I feel it all the more. The connection between our cat and my parents is an easy one to understand. It might not be so easy to track the next thought that came to me. I thought of an episode of Deep Space Nine. The show took place on a space station a few years after a war with the Cardassians, who had subjugated another race called the Bajorans. 
And in this episode, the Bajoran security officer did some digging into a suspicious Cardassian character and figured out that he was a Joseph Mengele-level war criminal known as the Butcher of Galatep. Near the end of the episode, though, we find that he did a double fake-out. He wasn't the Butcher of Galatep in disguise. He was a guy who stood by and watched. And he was so overcome with guilt over what his people had done that he pretended to be the Butcher of Galatep in disguise with the intention of being caught and tried and executed in order to give the Bajorans that justice and closure. That episode is the clearest illustration I've ever seen of the power of science fiction. The story could have easily taken place in Italy in 1947. All you'd have to do is change a few names. But we already know how we feel about World War II, yeah? Our reactions are largely set in stone. But if you take that same story and set it in a fantastical framework, you get to say the same stuff in a way that allows unencumbered emotional responses. Like the horses of the Armada, and like my dying cat, that story snuck past my defenses. Why am I telling you these stories? Well, note that they're both stories about history, and they're both stories about the stories we like to tell. And in case I haven't made it clear, that's what all this is about. As I've gone down this labyrinthine rabbit hole of old newspapers like some autistic minotaur, I've been gobsmacked at the Grand Canyon-sized gulf between how people in the past saw their own times and the impressions we have of those times. And I believe that gulf derives largely from our storytelling preferences. There are stories we love to tell and other stories we shy away from. So even without the multifarious and nefarious agendas that so color and corrode historical accounts, even without one iota of unclean intent, the mere desire to tell one kind of story over another distorts our vision of history. Speaking of stories people don't like to tell, here's a doozy. I didn't like Jack. Yeah, I know how that sounds. Cat people love to tell the stories of how their cat is an asshole, but they still love it. And my wife and I are cat people. I've had cats all my life. But Jack was just an asshole, and not in a good way. All he wanted was to have his ass scratched. He didn't show affection in any way I've come to associate with cats. He'd just rub his ass against us at all hours of the day and keep us up at night. He was like the dumbest dog in the world in the body of a cat. But he was my responsibility. I took him in back in 2009 when his owner was moving to Canada, and it looked like I was Jack's only option that didn't involve spending six months in a cage. I took him, and he became my responsibility, and I worked to do right by him, and our relationship improved over the years. After our other cat died last year, I saw that he was lonely, and my affection for him increased. I still didn't particularly like him but I spent a lot more time petting him as he sat on my lap. We didn't have the warmest relationship, but I developed an amenable companionship with him, if not out-and-out -out affection. And now we come to the emotional crux of it. Did Jack deserve better? Sure, you could say Jack deserved someone who loved him, but the universe doesn't give a shit about what we deserve, and even that doesn't begin to do justice to that yawning existential horror that made Camus lay down so much ink. Because to say that the universe doesn't give a shit implies that the universe has the capacity to give a shit, but as far as I can see, the universe lacks any faculty whereby it could feel anything. 
Jack didn't ask for any of this. Jack was just another little bundle of negentropy cast upon the shore for a time and then lapped back by the tide into that entropic sea. He didn't deserve it because there is no deserving, and with that my mind goes back as it always does to that scene in Unforgiven when the young man says to Clint Eastwood's character, in reference to the men they'd just shot, well I guess they had it coming. And Eastwood replies, we all have it coming, kid. Yeah, that. We all have it coming. We all have it coming. We're spitballs thrown against the wall, and I ain't convinced anyone's even watching to see what sticks. I do know one thing, though. I cannot fucking stand the thought of any creature stepping into that darkness alone. That's why I was there, petting Jack, giving special attention to his ass, mind you, as he sat on my wife's lap and the stranger slid the needle in and his head slowly nodded. And it's why I do this. It's why, a few years ago, I started a project to honor the memory of my Uncle Hugh. That project led me to study my genealogy. Studying my genealogy led me to a fascination with historical newspapers, which grew into a blog where I follow along with historical newspapers, which morphed into this podcast. At its heart, everything I do along historical lines is an effort to honor my uncle, after whom I'm named and who died of gangrene on April 13, 1942, three days after taking a Vichy French bullet at the Battle of St. Cloud near the North African coast. That tide lapped him back into the entropic sea all too soon. Like it took Jack, like it will take me. But in the meantime, that's the magic of it, ain't it? I get a meantime. I get that paper-thin span of time between bookends of infinite black. I am a little bundle of negentropy, and I get to wield my negentropy. I get to strain against that tide, to cast sparks into the darkness. I get to tell stories. The darkness is all around. I hear the lapping of that insensate tide and I see the leering faces of those who would throw their weight behind the inevitable distortion of history. So I need to tell those stories with fidelity. I need to gather up what few shards of our history that I can hold, and I need to carry them forward, because they are precious, because seeing them fade away breaks my heart, because if all I can do is gather them up in my arms and maybe get a few more purrs out of them and take them out for one last brief adventure in the crisp fall air, then that's what I'll do because nothing else makes sense. I didn't like Jack. I have my doubts that I would have liked my Uncle Hugh or that he would have liked me. But like it or not, deserve it or not, I'm what he's got. I'm the vessel for his story and for the other stories I've discovered on the road to knowing his world. I hold them sacred. I hope I can pass along some of those precious shards to you.